Harvest time is an important time. The important thing about the harvest, the time of harvest, is the harvest. That seems kind of redundant, right? But the important thing about harvest time is the harvest. Now, I had to say it like that because we here in this culture that we live in, we don't live in an agrarian culture, agrarian society, an agricultural society for the most part. And when it comes to harvest time, we mostly, in our culture, we get caught up in pumpkin spice, pumpkin muffins, pumpkin spice lattes. You know what I'm talking about? So if you say harvest time, it's like, oh yeah, PSL. On my way here tonight, I passed by the Panita Bistro. Is that the name of it, Patty? Palm Shores Bistro. On the marquee, it said, pumpkin pancakes and pumpkin waffles. I said, well, there it is. That's exactly what I'm going to be talking about here tonight. And so we can get caught up in all that aspect of it and getting all the fall, you know, if you're like my wife, she has a whole closet of all the decorations for all the year, and she has her fall area and a Christmas area and all of it, and she was, boom, she was busy getting that fall stuff out, and she's got orange pillow pillows that are in the shape of a leaf, and, you know, I mean, it's incredible, the stuff, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's all color-coordinated, and it's incredible. So I think it's important that we realize in this culture that we live in is that when it comes to harvest time, the important thing is the harvest, right? Is the actual harvest. Now, as far as the harvest is concerned, there are those crops that are, that the harvest doesn't come in all at one time. There's kind of the beginning of harvest. There are those crops that kind of are the, the early crops, the, 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 well, the Bible would call them the first fruits, and then there are those that later harvest. And so tonight we're going to look at this idea of there being a, a first harvest and a second harvest. And so just as there is a first harvest and a second harvest, literally in agriculture, those themes are pictures for us in Scripture, and those things became, become pictures for us of what God is ultimately doing in this world. And so we're going to take a look at this. The agricultural phenomenon is celebrated in Scripture and becomes a part of the prophetic plan and picture of God's redemption of man. God uses the concepts and realities of a first and second harvest to illustrate to us about another first and second harvest. Not a harvest of crops, but a harvest of people. God's people. Amen? Yes. Tonight we're going to look at the next two feasts on Israel's calendar of feasts. These next two feasts are the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Pentecost. First Fruits and Pentecost. These are the feasts we're going to look at tonight in Leviticus 23. So, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at it. The first harvest is the first fruits. The first harvest is the first fruits. Let's pick it up in Leviticus 23. Let's look at it beginning at verse 9. 
It says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without a blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Verse 13, its grain offerings shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offerings shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. The first harvest is the first fruits. The most important specific aspect of the feast of first fruits was the timing of it. This is a, when you really look at it, and of course you can do deep dives into all of these things, right? I mean, there's, you know, books written about these things. And, you know, I know somebody kind of wrote a book about some of this stuff. And, and anyway, so you could do deep dives. But just as, as kind of looking at this tonight, the, the most important specific aspect of the Feast of First Fruits was the timing of it. It was conducted during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, so the first two feasts, you have the spring feast. You have Passover, unleavened bread, and we're looking at the next two tonight, first fruits and Pentecost. And so feast of first fruits, the timing of it, it was conducted during the feast of unleavened bread. Now the commandment, according to verse 11, was that this commemoration and activity was to be done on the day after the Sabbath. The day following the Sabbath of Passover, the Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was a time to give the first fruits of the harvest to God. The idea was to, de to dedicate the first ripened stalks of grain to God. And this was going to be, it's, the first fruits offering is always an offering that is dedicated to God and it anticipates the next Harvest, amen. It, it it anticipates a first fruits offering. Always in, anticipates more harvest, amen. So that's what we have to keep in uh, in mind with first fruits, and and you can make that connection even with your giving, because giving to the Lord is connected with first fruits. We're called to bring our first fruits to the Lord, and and this is a. a understanding that you need to have when you think about giving to the Lord, because. When God says, bring your first fruits, it's always connected to more harvest. It's always an anticipation of a continued harvest that's going to come in. So, uh, so it's, it's the same here. The first fruits at Passover would be a, would be a barley harvest, uh, which ripens in the warmer areas as early as March in this particular uh, in this particular time. The Feast of First Fruits commemorated, uh, so it commemorated the, the, the barley harvest. They would come in, they would 
uh, have this first fruits stock and that, that would be waved, that sheaf would be waved as a first fruits offering to the Lord. So that was the activity. The timing was that it would be the day after the Sabbath of unleavened bread. So this is, this is actually very significant. The day following Pass, Passover Sabbath uh, was the time of first fruits. The Feast of First Fruits then commemorated the harvest that would come when they came into the land of pro- promise. And prophetically, it spoke of something that was to come. It spoke of more harvest that was to come, but prophetically it spoke of something else that was to come. What was that? It speaks to us specifically of the Messiah's resurrection from the dead that was prophesied all the way throughout Scripture. The psalmist put it this way, speaking of the resurrection and the Messiah. In Psalm 16, verse 10, you'll see the verse on the screen behind me. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. What is this? You will not leave me in Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word grave. So what it's saying is the Messiah is not going to be left in the grave. The Messiah is going to be in the grave. It's also telling us that, but it's not going to be left in the grave. He's not going to be left. Your Holy One, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. The Holy One would not see the decay of death because he would be raised to life. Amen? He would be raised from the dead. Okay, so let's go through this. This is all happening at Passover and unleavened bread. And then you have first fruits. Jesus was crucified on Passover, right? And that's why Paul declares to us that Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? He is our Passover lamb. He's the one that we're, we're covered in his blood. His blood is on the doorposts of our life, amen? And, and, and we're covered by the blood of Jesus. So he's our Passover lamb. He was laid in the garden tomb during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we learned about that last week. The idea of unleavened bread uh, was speaking of the unleavened one. And when he uh, celebrated Passover with his disciples, he took that bread of the Passover, of the unleavened bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And so really what he was saying is, I'm the unleavened bread, I'm the unleavened bread that you've been eating at Passover all these years. Yeah. All, all your years growing up, every year you came around, you ate Passover, you ate unleavened bread, and this was speaking of me. I'm the unleavened one, and I'm giving myself to you. Remember, we talked about that, the covenant of marriage. We talked about that idea, the covenant of marriage. It's, it's a giving of yourself to the other person, amen? And that's what God did. He gave all that he had, and we are to give everything, all of our life to him, amen? So... That's the idea of unleavened bread. Now, the day after the Sabbath of unleavened bread is what? First fruits. What happened on the day after the Sabbath of unleavened bread after Jesus died on Passover? That's the day that Jesus 
came out of the grave. That's the day Jesus, that's the day that the ladies went to the tomb early in the morning. Remember, they went and they had the spices and they were going to you know, do their thing. And when they got there, he wasn't there. The stone was rolled away. Remember, they ran back and got the disciples and the disciples you know, were running and John was faster than everybody. And of course, he had to tell everybody that he was faster than everybody in his gospel and you know, bragging in the Holy Spirit. But that's the only time you can do it, amen? And, uh, and, 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 and that, that was the time that that happened. So Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first fruits. This is why we say, this is why we speak of Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection. Amen? You say, well, wait a second. Other people supposedly came you know, back to life before that, right? I mean, didn't Jesus even bring people back to life? But really, when you look at it, those weren't resurrections as much as they were resuscitations. Lazarus went on to die again. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, he's in a class, you know, he's in a separate class of, you know, there'll be a class in heaven. How many times did you die? Well, twice, <laughs> you know, Lazarus, there's others, right? Lazarus died again. But the resurrection is something when, when, when you're resurrected from the dead, when, when this thing of resurrection happens to you, you are, you will never, ever die again. There's something that happens when you are resurrected in this sense of resurrection, of what we talk about resurrection, amen? And that's why the apostle Paul, he explained it, the significance of this whole thing of resurrection to the church at Corinth. And when you read the book of Corinthians, the first letter of Corinthians, you know, the first part of the book is literally <laughs> Paul kind of going down the line of just having to address all the sin that was happening in the church. I mean, you read it chapter after chapter, you're going, oh my goodness, Corinth, you know? And um, there was a saying back then, you know, whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth type of a thing, you know? And, and, um, and it, was, it was bad. So Paul had to address that stuff, you know? He, he had to, in one point, he's addressing a particular sin and he says, this isn't even named... This isn't even talked about in the, within the pagan community. Wow. That's how bad it got, you know? So I read Corinthians and I, you know, it's, it, it can be kind of heavy, but it can be encouraging too, you know? <laughs> that, that, that God is wanting to reach down to whatever level anybody is and pull you up out of the miry pit and put your feet up on the rock and give you a new life and, and a whole new thing, amen? But then he gets to the end of the letter and he goes into... And we know it as chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And it's a chapter where Paul just lays out this whole thing about resurrection and what it's going to be and the whole idea of a spiritual body. It's not this same body. I mean, he's not going to bring us back and we're going to be, oh, I'm back here with this, you know, this thing. No, we're, this is like a seed. If you read the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, this body, whatever's left of it, is just going to basically be a seed in the ground in we're going to have a spiritual body, amen, a heavenly body. God has gone to prepare a place for us, amen. We, there are, in his house, there are many dwellings, right? And, uh, and so he's going to prepare a place. But specifically, right there in the middle of the chapter, the Apostle Paul says this about Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, and I'll have this verse on the screen for you. 
It says this, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What's this? This is literally where Paul, the apostle Paul, is connecting the resurrection of Christ back to the idea of first fruits, that he literally is the first fruits of the resurrection. And isn't it amazing? I look back at all these, you know, 1,500 years before Jesus ever walked the earth in, 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 in that, that human form, having been born of Mary. And 1,500 years ago, there was a feast given by God called First Fruits, and it would be celebrated on the, the day after Sabbath of Passover, commemorating this first fruits of the harvest, this first harvest. And he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first harvest. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Again, I want to drive this home to you, and I don't want you to leave here without getting this. First fruits always supposes a subsequent harvest. Because Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, his resurrection supposes a subsequent harvest of the resurrection, which is prophetically seen in the very next feast that we're going to also take a look at tonight. So tonight we're looking at first fruits, which is the resurrection of Christ, but that first fruits always presupposes a second harvest. And so we're going to take a look at this, and this is the, called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. So let's take a look at the second harvest and pick it up in Leviticus 23, verse 15. It says this, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. And you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. And they are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams, and they shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs, and they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you, and you shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a, a statute forever in your dwellings throughout your generations. Verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So the second harvest, the second harvest. You had the first harvest. You had the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. But there is going to be another harvest. There are going to be others that are going to be able to participate in this thing called resurrection. We actually sang about it 
in, our, in one of our songs tonight. We sang about because Jesus is alive on the third day he came back from the dead on that day after Sabbath of unleavened bread. And because he did, we're also who are in Christ going to be resurrected as well. And so we see this picture in the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost. Fifty days after the Feast of First Fruits uh, was the time to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost by bringing a grain offering to the Lord and by waving two loaves of leavened bread unto the Lord. Not unleavened, leaven. That's a kind of a, di a distinction there, right? Fifty days after the Feast of First Fruits, Israel was instructed to celebrate another feast called the Feast. Well, it had, it's known by actually two names. And so I'm going to connect those to you for you tonight so you won't forget this, okay? And there's a slide for this. Feast of Pentecost equals Feast of Weeks, okay? They called it the Feast of Weeks because it was the feast of the seven weeks, right? The seven weeks in a day after first fruits. They also called it Pentecost because Pentecost is a day that just means 50th. It's the 50th day. So it was called Feast of Weeks uh, because it, it started exactly seven weeks and one day following the Feast of, of, of First Fruits, and it was called Pentecost because it's the 50th day. On the 50th day after First Fruits, Israel was instructed to celebrate this Feast of Weeks. The loaves of bread... Uh, there were to be the, the, the sacrifices. It was commemorate, commemorated by offering and waving two loaves of bread made with fine flour from the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So this is not to be confused with the first fruits that we just talked about, the first fruits of the barley harvest, that first fruits that talks of the resurrection of Christ. This is the first fruits. There's the first fruits of the second wave. There's gonna be a first fruits, right? Because it has to begin somewhere and it, it always begins with a first fruit. And so um, there were these loaves with a burnt offering, a grain offering, a drink offering, and a peace, peace offering. So the, the Feast of Pentecost was a celebration, is a celebration of the second harvest, of this wheat harvest. But what I want to talk to you tonight, so I'm connecting a lot of dots here for you. So the calendar, remember I told you the calendar of Israel's feast was the catechism? The calendar is the catechism. The calendar taught the people about God and how to worship God. And it also becomes the calendar that lays out the plan of God, right? Because Jesus came, the, the plan of redemption, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, before the whole thing got going, Jesus knew this was plan A. This wasn't plan B. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I didn't know man was going to mess up, so let me come up with a plan and how are we going to fix this? No, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Right, And he had this plan. God had a plan to redeem man. So now we're in the part, we had the bride price. Passover was the paying of the bride price. Unleavened bread was the marriage covenant being signed. First fruits was, is, is, is speaks of the groom, the bridegroom. And the Pentecost or Feast of Weeks speaks of the setting apart of the bride of Christ. Something incredible happened 50 days after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Amen? Wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? According to Leviticus, 
wouldn't you know that something amazing happened exactly 50 days after Jesus Christ came out of that grave? Yeah. 50 days. Now, San Francisco has the 49ers, and people, people have called themselves who, there's something happened on this particular day. That's actually not the main thing about this particular day. <laughs> It's a cool thing, and great that it happened, but it's not the actual main thing about this day. And because of that happening, people have called themselves Pentecostals, right? And, or, you know, which is basically to say 50ers, <laughs> right? Right? So you have the 49ers, and, and, and then you have the 50ers. But I, I would rather, if I had kind of laid out church history and all that in the 18th, 19th, and 20th century, I would have come up with this name, the harvesters, right? Because that's really what this is about. What Pentecost is about, yeah, there was the gift of tongues and all that, and that happened, and we're going to get into that in a second. But what this is really about is about the, the harvest, the second harvest, which is the foundation of the church, which is this exact number of people that are going to become, come into what's called the bride of Christ that are going to be joined to Christ and betrothed to Christ. So I like that, the harvesters. In the book of Acts chapter two, 120 followers of Jesus were gathered together in what has been called the upper room. The upper room, and, and there is a particular room. If you go to Jerusalem today, they take you up to this upper room and they say, that, you know, they say this is the upper room. And I've been in that particular room. Now, whether that room was the upper room, you, you, you do come down the stairs and there's David's casket. So they know exactly where, and we're going to get into this in a second, they know exactly where David was buried because when, they, when, when this thing happened on the Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, when they were praying, they come down out of the upper room and Peter addresses the crowd and he talks about David, David's tomb being right there. So this is all connected to the geography. You have to understand what's happening there. But here's what happened. Ten days earlier, Jesus had ascended into heaven and he told the disciples to do what? He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world, right? And so this is what's going to happen. So following Jesus, Jesus gives them this instructions and so they're waiting in Jerusalem. They're gathered in the upper room and they're praying. And then suddenly, right? Suddenly, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the room, that upper room. Sound of a mighty rushing wind. Now, you, you, you've heard a mighty rushing wind before, right? I mean, we're not talking about like a little breeze, a little ocean breeze. We're, a mighty rushing wind came into that room. And then what looked like flames of fire, this is what the text of Acts 2 says, what looked like flames of fire came and sat upon each one of them, and the text says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in languages other than their own, languages that they had never learned, right? So they were, they were giving, given this supernatural gift, this supernatural ability in that sense, languages that they had not learned. Now, what happened specifically? Specifically, Jews, Jew, Pentecost was one of the feasts that you would come back to Jerusalem. If you were a Jew, you would come. If you were a, a, a male 
a Jewish person, you would come back to celebrate that particular feast uh, in Jerusalem. And so Jews from all over the world were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks for Pentecost. And, and Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us, gives us very specific, you, you read through, <clears throat> I want to say something, when you read through lists of names and lists of cities and lists of things that are, you know, I'm, I'm under the, I'm under the uh, understanding that there's, there's no filler in Scripture. You know, you may think it's filler, but there's the reason for every place name, every city that's mentioned. And in this particular uh, situation, uh, Luke is actually telling the reader in Acts 2 where all the, specifically the regions that where, where Jews were, had come in from for Pentecost. They were from Persia, Asia, North Africa, Asia Minor, and Europe. Now, I put those in kind of names that you can understand, but if you go read Acts 2, starting at verse 5, and read those names, you know, there's a bunch of different types of names there of, of, of specific areas of specific peoples, but the Jewish people from those areas were in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And what did they say? This is what they said in verse 11 of Acts chapter 2. What, they wanted to know what's going on with these people. What's going on with these people that are from here, from Judea and Galilee? We hear them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. We hear them in our language declaring the, the works of, of God. This was wild. This was incredible. This was, a, this was unbelievable. The Holy Spirit, inspiring Luke to write, had him specifically list the names of those nations and areas that were represented. Now, what specifically was happening here? I have to get down in the nitty-gritty here for, you, for, for just a minute, okay? I have to get down. I have to take you back to Genesis 11. If you remember what happened in Genesis 11, the people had gathered and they were under the, the pagan ruler, name was Nimrod, on the plains of Shinar, they were building a tower. And they were not serving God, they were not worshiping God, and they were not uh, obeying the command to go out and to, to multiply and to fill the earth. They were congregating in this area. And so what did God do? God came down and he confused the language. He confused the languages of the people, and he basically kind of scattered the people. But that sounds like it was kind of a mess. But we know, and you know if you've been to this church, I've explained this, the, the clear description of what happened specifically in Genesis 11 is, is outlined for us in De Deuteronomy 32, beginning at verse 8, 8 and 9. And what this is, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser is called, refers to this as the Deuteronomy 32 worldview because it, it really, when you get a hold of this, it, it really kind of brings into focus what happened early in Genesis and what happened in, in God establishing the church. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So God, what it tells us in Deuteronomy 32 is that he confused the languages and mostly what it says is that he divided mankind. 
and he divided them according to the Beneha Elohim, the sons, the sons of God. And so he, he divided the people up into, into nations and people groups. And there are 70. That's why you have that table of nations uh, in that part in, in Genesis. And so that's why the names of all those particular people groups are important. So God divided mankind and confused the language at Babel. What's interesting, what he does at Pentecost is now people from those same areas and from those same nations are now in Jerusalem for Pentecost and they're now hearing people from Galilee and Judea that are basically speaking the praises of God in their languages. They're hearing it in their language. So what specifically is happening? Well, back in Deuteronomy 32, back at Genesis 11 at Babel, what was God doing? He was actually disinheriting the nations. He was, he was saying, you know what? You don't, you don't want to worship me? You don't want to follow me? God's, God's given every person free, free will, free choice. You don't want to worship God? God's going to give you over. What happened in Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1. He gave them over. He gave up the nations. That's why what's prophetically said of the Messiah is, ask of me and I will give you what? The nations as an inheritance. What Jesus did is he came and he gave his life, he shed his blood on the cross, and he basically released what happened. And 50 days after the resurrection, he is now calling back in the languages, he's calling the nations back to come under the rule of Christ. This is what actually Christianity is actually about. Paul lays this out in Philippians chapter two. He says, God has given Jesus the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven above, on the earth below, and under the earth. And he's bringing all things under his dominion. So what was happening in Acts chapter 2 was a reversal of Babel. (laughs) Amen? A reversal of the confusion of Babel. A, a, A reversal of the disinheritance of the nations at Babel that God was was calling the nations back to himself. Amen? And so here's what happened. Wow, we got to hurry. We got to hurry. This is, this, this is exciting stuff. I, I mean, if, I, I love this stuff, okay? So what happened? So these guys from all over these nations are hearing the wonderful works of God in their, in their language. Other people are mocking and saying, oh, what's, what's going on with these people? Are they drunk? Peter steps up. Peter says they're not drunk. But this is happening to fulfill what was, what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, where God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he goes into this impromptu sermon where he connects the dots and amazing under the inspiration of, I mean, he was, in, he was anointed, Peter. He was so anointed that this was one of the greatest moments in ministry ever. 
preaching, okay? Because at the end of his sermon, the entire people said, okay, what should we do? (laughs) I've been preaching for a long time and that's never happened, okay? (laughs) That would be great. It would be so wonderful if one day, okay, Charles, we hear you. What should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for this promise is for you and your, and your people and your children. Amen? Yes, yes. Wow. And the text says, we don't have time to go through a whole study on Acts chapter 2. The text tells us that 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a dot to be connected there. Right. We just talked about this. Mm-hmm. Ring any bells? 3,000 people died when Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and they had given up on Moses because they thought he had gone AWOL because he was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes down. He's angry. Aaron has gotten the people involved in this golden calf situation. How did this happen? Well, the people brought gold and whatever and we put it in the fire and the golden calf came out of the fire. What's this? So that's when the Levites, that's when Moses stood up and said, okay, who's on the Lord's side? And the Levites came to his side and they, they executed the judgment of God in that situation on that day. And the day that the law was given, 3,000 souls died. But on the day of Pentecost, on the 50th day from the resurrection of Christ, Jesus is calling back the nations to himself. And 3,000 souls. There's a harvest, there's a first fruits harvest of the, of the second harvest, and it's 3,000 souls came into the church on that day. Now, fast forward from Acts chapter 2 to Acts 10. And Peter, the same preacher in Acts chapter 2, is sitting up on an outside deck of a condo in Joppa. Just kind of sitting there. And he kind of goes into this trance, the text tells us in Acts 10. He goes into this sleep, this trance, and he has a vision of this sheet coming down out of heaven and there's animals on it and all this stuff. And the point of the whole vision is this, because basically God tells him, rise, rise, and kill and eat. He's basically telling them, and, and, and what, what, what's interesting about it is that there were animals that are declared unclean by the Old Testament law that were on that sheet. But now God is saying, I want you to, to kill and eat. I want you to eat. These, these animals are okay to eat. And he's like, what? This, this, this is crazy. So God has to tell him three times. Amen? Sometimes God has to tell us three times. If God is telling you, if it's coming back to you and it's like, okay, and it feels like the third time, okay, it's God telling you something, all right? Because God always comes back three times. Three times God told Paul, my grace is sufficient, right? Three times God told Peter, rise, eat, and kill, uh, kill and eat. For what I have declared clean, you are not to call unclean. What was happening? 
right when he woke up out of that vision, there was a knock at the door. And who was it? It was guards from a Roman centurion from Caesarea. And they said, our, from Cornelius was his name. Cornelius has called for you. He wants you to come up to Caesarea and talk to him about God. So Joppa is basically, today, it would be like South Tel Aviv, okay? Caesarea is up the coast a little bit. So he had to go up the coast. He gets there. He begins to proclaim. He begins to, begins to preach. He begins to tell them about what Jesus did, what, what just happened in Jerusalem. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon the whole place, and they were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And they were all Gentiles. So this is later what Peter has to explain to the rest of the apostles. See, because everyone that was saved on the day of Pentecost was a Jew who was in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost, 50th, Feast of Weeks. But now something wild has happened. Now God has opened this up to the Gentiles. And Peter explains to the apostles, he says, look, I just proclaimed the word. I just proclaimed the word of Christ and this happened and, and God did, the Holy Spirit did what, he, what we've been seeing him do, which is getting a hold of people's lives, getting a hold of filling people and, and saving them. And so really what happened from the vision at Joppa to that preaching at Caesarea is that God opened up the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, I want to close this off by taking you back to the last verse in this text in Leviticus. It says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest, you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So God gives Israel at the end of this feast of weeks that talk, talks about this next harvest that's coming in, this wheat harvest. He gives them this instruction that's really not about the feast, but it's about how to go about actually harvesting their land, their fields. And he gives them two specific things that he tells them. He says, I don't want you to reap the corners, and I don't want you to go back and get the gleanings. In other words, I Go one pass and leave the gleanings. Leave the corners and leave the gleanings. And he gives them the reason. What does he say? This is for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. Well, from the time that this law was given, God eventually brought the people into the land. And many, many years later, there came a woman with her mother-in-law back from Moab, and her name was Ruth, and she was a Gentile. She was not a Jew. And she came, 
And she began to go into the fields of Boaz. And she began to collect those gleanings and those leftovers in the corners that Boaz was leaving according to this passage of Scripture. And what happened? You know the story. We don't have time to do a whole study of the book of Ruth tonight. Amen? Praise the Lord. But it's an amazing book. And here's what it says. That Ruth, a Gentile, poor, came into Boaz. She found a place in the nation. And she and basically Boaz st- stepped up and became, took that role of what's called a kinsman redeemer. And he redeemed this woman, Ruth, and, and called her to be his bride, to be his wife. And so what you have from Leviticus 23 to Ruth is you literally have a picture of the bride of Christ being brought into the family of God. Amen? Amen? So this is... A, this is this is an incredible picture laid out for us in the scriptures. And what is it all saying to us? What it's all saying to us is that there's a second harvest. And God is calling. He's still in the, the, vision, the business. He's calling across the face of this world. He's calling. The call goes out from the east to the west to the north to the south. The call to come back to God to come home. It's a call to come back to your creator. It's a call to come back from under the jurisdiction of the foreign gods to come and lay down and reject those gods. And that's why baptism is literally a form of spiritual warfare because it is a, it is a renunciation, is a, it is an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it is a re- renunciation of the powers of darkness and the rule that was given to those powers in Deuteronomy 32 and Genesis 11. God is now calling back the nations to himself, bringing all those who would come under his rule, under his lordship, into the kingdom, into the family of God. Amen. Amen. So there's a first harvest. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. There's a second harvest. And that harvest time is still going on. Right now, if you want to know where we are in the biblical timeline, we finally caught up in this whole Who is Jesus series. We finally caught up to where we presently are. We are literally after Pentecost, but we haven't reached the fall yet. Okay, so come back next week because that's a little old feast called the Feast of Trumpets. 